Hello, hello, hello. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. You're tuned in listening to United to the Moose. This is the Cinematic Odyssey. We are here um, talking about a film that I have been wanting to watch for many years now uh, from a filmmaker whose reputation precedes himself, um, whose... Uh, Films are hard to watch, not necessarily because of the content, but his style and his uh, the the heavy philosophical ideas, themes, and you know spiritual themes that he gets into that make his films very heavy and very kind of. You have to be in this very specific state to watch them, I think. And this is this is the second film of his that I've seen. I've seen Stalker, which is one of his more more well known works. Although this filmmaker isn't that well known outside of the the film community, but he goes by the name of uh, Andre Tarkovsky, um, one of cinema's greatest talents, uh, one of cinema's masters. He is a Russian filmmaker who is no longer with us because he passed away after he filmed Stalker, which is one of his last films, um, due to due to uh, exposure to uh, radiation uh, of where they filmed the 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 movie. But he is a filmmaker, like I've already mentioned, that at least for me. I've been really wanting to watch his movies for a very long time. Again, I've seen Stalker before. Now I've seen Andre uh, Andre Rublioff, which is the film we're talking about today. I actually own Mirror, which is his most personal film, um, more relating to his personal life. But uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't realize that this was his second film uh until after I watched finished watching Andre Rublyov his first film being Ivan's Childhood which is a very powerful uh, anti-war film um but yeah Tarkovsky he's a he's like what I'd like to call a philosophical filmmaker um he's no he's nothing he's kind of hard to pin down in terms of who you can compare him to. I don't think there isn't any real filmmaker that I can think of that you can compare him to. I mean, obviously he's contemporaries of Kubrick and Bergman. Um, and those are like the three, the three biggest filmmakers of their time. Although Bergman kind of got his start earlier in the fifties, but. Um, they were making the bulk of their work during the 60s and the 70s, all three of those filmmakers. And Kubrick, he's a filmmaker. I mean, he's my favorite favorite filmmaker of all time. I think he's the greatest of all time. Um, and Tarkovsky, you know, there's kind of this uh, competition between the two of them. I don't think necessarily like when they were alive and more so within the film community, like who who did this better or whatnot, even though their films aren't necessarily like 
any and all related. I mean, Solaris in 2001 gets some uh, talks where there's people comparing the two films. But either way, I mean, Tarkovsky on his own, he is a filmmaker of larger-than-life stature whose body of work is so expansive in its uh in its content or in its um what he analyzes when he dissects um that you kind of have to be so wired in when you're watching his films you have to, you cannot be any semblance of tired you cannot be distracted by anything you have to be like in the zone and I mean we'll get into the the film but I mean I see his brilliance but I don't know there's something not clicking with me and I I hate that because I really want to love his films I really do I mean as I've said before and I I said this on a very very <laughs> goodness early episode of this podcast just because the director or the filmmaker is considered great does not mean you have to agree does not mean that it has to be up your alley does yeah. not mean that it you know takes away from their legacy it's just your opinion and i i will say again i i was getting really really in the weeds to kind of compare this with um, Akira Kurosawa's rant. Um, mostly because large ensemble uh, shots, a lot of coordination with um, horses and cavalry. Um, one, I mean, using a lot of fire, both of them do in this, uh, their style of film between Andre Rublev and Ran. They both, feature that's they're both like three hour epics um that feature gosh it's gotta be thousand a thousand at least people on screen and as as we may recall i wasn't like super blown away with ran just because i knew what the story was going to be because you can adapt it all you want, but like the same characters will die. If it's, if it's Shakespeare, you just have to find the equation. Oh, this person is the equivalent of Cordelia. Therefore they will die. And with, with this being a completely new idea, or at least following the biography of Andre Rublev, an iconographer, in the uh, Christian faith in Russia in the 1400s. Um, now, I don't know about you. I'm not super familiar with um, not only his work, but also his life. Yeah. And yes, a lot of it is kind of um, dramatized and, and fictitious and, and picked from the few details that we may actually have. But... I think very similarly that I do to Ran, 
it comes together, but I think there are pieces that are missing. I think there are pieces that don't add up. Does it go from something that I don't understand why this is here to an absolutely brilliant shot that's just stunning? Yes, yes, it does. Is there Are there moments where the dialogue is perfectly philosophical and I love every second of it? Yes. Are there long cuts of silence? Yes. It's it's kind of that give and take of, I don't really know what's what's to come next, which can be good, can be bad. Not saying it's either way. Just saying it, it, it changes pace rather quickly. It changes substance rather quickly. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, it's a very poetic film in the way that it's structured. I mean, it, it, well, I guess not really structured, but more so the way that it's shot and the way that it's written. Um, I mean, this is a magnificently looking film. Um, it's every shot is just uh, so beautiful. Um, and so well put together. And I mean, that's something that so early on in his career. I mean, literally, his second film. I haven't seen Ivan's childhood again. I've only seen Stalker in this. Uh, I'm sure. Uh, Yvonne's childhood is is also a very beautiful looking film but the fact that this is his second film uh, very early on in his career is astounding and it's a grand achievement um, not only you know cinema cinematic cinema it's cinematically or visually speaking but uh, you know the writing as well um, is dense and so there's so much you can unpack from what is being said in the film and what we see. Because um, the story or the film is told in a series of vignettes, sort of, or chapters, as what it's kind of called in the film. Yeah. And it starts off in Rublyov's early adult life. And it goes from that to pretty much the end of his life. Um, although we don't necessarily see him die, but no. <clears throat> lots of other people die, but he does not die. Yeah, we see a lot. We see his progression as an artist. Um, or not necessarily. Well, not mm, okay. Not as an artist, but sort of, but more so as a human being, and and his walk with his faith yes and how the things that he witnesses and the things that he does how that affects his his spiritual life yeah. his soul and the way that he confronts art and his relationship with his art with his work um because we see a very clear kind of arc where he's, you know, young. He's a bit more optimistic on his view of human, the human condition and how, you know, I don't want to say naive, um, but he, he sees humans in a more, um, positive way yes they are good inherently 
Yes, yes, that's yeah, that's a good way to put it. And there's a series of conversations that he has with uh Theophanes. What's Theophanes? Theophanes, Theophanes the Greek. They got a specific um, Greek. Yeah. And other characters that we see throughout the film. But specifically him, when those conversations occurred, that's when kind of the crux of the philosophy of the film is at play. Um, but, you know, there are pretty elongated sequences where we don't even see Andre. Yeah. And it's just a bunch of other people that we that we're watching. But they each have an influence in his life. Uh, you know, whether that be the war uh, that he witnesses and is involved in, he directly gets involved in with it. And, you know, the bell maker at the end um, yeah. and, and all these things. And Kirill, Kirill or whatever he sees yeah. him, Kirill. Um, but... I'm, really, I'm really anglicizing it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, the beginning... I don't I don't understand the beginning in the context of the film because it doesn't have anything to do with Andre. Cause it's like it doesn't that take place in like a different time? It's early. tripping. It's about it's about five years before everything else. Um and so like I mean I do see it as a way to set up the Kirill redemption arc later on. I mean, as a way to start, but also I think it's, I it's honestly, it honestly might just be a way to introduce the viewer into what life was like in feudal Russia, because to take a peek, like this isn't, you know, Soviet times. This isn't this is before the Soviet Union exists. This is before the United States of America existed. This is feudal times. This is princes. This is like roaming barbarians uh just pillaging when they can. Like you're always in the, on that threat of an outsider coming in and taking all your stuff. So I think to to establish just the source of entertainment the kind of uh, respect that people have for fools, but also, you know, the fool I believe he does make fun of a person in power, which, which leads to his arrest. He is confirmed to be a fool by Carol, which, which leads to his arrest, which is that sort of, you can perform and you can do your art and you can be creative so long as the powers that be approve of it and 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 are are content with what you're producing so like that i know that was a big thing with um christianity as it was uh developing uh you could feel free to practice your religion but you could only practice in the specific way that the emperor or the king or the governor or whoever it was dictated that you practice mm-hmm which I think is just uh, crunching down a little bit on the freedom, making you realize, you know, this isn't like a free place. There are some people who hold all the power. There are some people who hold no power. And there are some people who are kind of just out of it. Hence Andre and, and where he, uh, he, he stays. Cause he's kind of just, 
he's not really seen as a threat, but he's also not really seen as like powerful. Well, I was more referring to the sequence at the very beginning of the film where uh, that guy's on the balloon and he's flying over the river. Oh, I did like that. I thought that was a cool shot. Is that a... Am I tripping or did that... Did the film specify that that took place in the 1800s or am I tripping balls? I think you you <laughs> might be tripping. I'm going to be completely honest with you okay. here. Okay, because I... I, I cause, Cause that that's how the film started. I was like, hmm. And then it kind of went into the Andre part. I don't know, but either way, that's not really that important. But um, yeah, and you know, I thought um, because we see after that after that Jester sequence, we watch um, Kirill talk to theophanies and you know they have a conversation with each other about uh this job offer this commission by the royal family of of russia to paint uh a cathedral in moscow and one of the paintings required to do would be the last judgment which is a painting a type of of painting that depicts the second coming of Christ, uh, the most famous one being in the Sistine Chapel, uh, painted by Michelangelo, which I actually saw. Um, one of those beautiful things I've ever seen. Literally, uh, had me in awe. I just stared at it for a good couple of minutes. Um, and it's funny to think that, you know, during this time that the film is taking place, like a little oh, a little under 100 years later, the Italian Renaissance will begin and will usher in the greatest period of art in the history of mankind, uh, at least in my opinion. Although that's that's the opinion of a lot of historian art historians, I think. That's the, the scope outside of the, the this episode. That's, we're going to talk, talk about that. But anyways, I uh, just thought that was interesting. But yeah, so, you know, Kirill will only accept the offer under one condition. And that's if Theophanes himself goes to the monastery and gasses him up so hard. So hard to the point where Theophanes has to humiliate himself in front of all these artists and monks and whatnot. So Kiro can go work for him. And in his words, work like a slave or like his dog or whatever. Um, yeah, if you humiliate yourself, I will. I just sell myself to you. Like, yeah, I'll do whatever you want. Yeah, exactly. just give me the give me the ego boost. That's all I care, bro. I'm that's all I want. I want the ego boost. <laughs> beautiful yeah i mean yeah <laughs> yeah and i think i mean definitely the reason to do that is so he can um on one hand like i think a motivation is to humiliate or well maybe not humiliate but like show to andre that he has no he has nowhere near the same amount of talent 
as a cure something like that because they discussed that in their conversation where was it Kirill or is it Theophanes that said that Andre miss is missing something in his work? I believe it's Theophanes. Theophanes that says that. I see. I mean, Kirill... I it makes sense as he's sort of more of the, the critic, the more of the mentor. Um, yeah. Role. Yeah. But what's funny is that you know, we cut to the monastery. And some messenger guy shows up for Theophanes and he's like, Andre, you have been asked to go to Moscow to work on a on a church. <laughs> Do the last judgment, you know, paint the church, all these things in front of Kirill's face. Like <laughs> Kirill loses his mind. He just says yes too. It's like yeah, he's like, sure. you guys, I'm yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go paint in Moscow. Sure. And bonus little point of clarification about um religious icons. I know that there is like discussion outside of those uh, who are religious or at least went to Catholic school when they were young. Ding, but uh, having an icon painted of you know Jesus or Mary or a saint or something like that is not um, the creation of idols or idolatry. Um, it's not the the point of worshiping false gods or like treating the image as though it were um, the likeness of the person that it is resembling. It's more of a symbolic uh, token that kind of demonstrates the holiness of this person, the importance of this person. Um, Sometimes they can be narrative. <clears throat> oh, goodness. Sometimes they can be narrative and they, they tell a, a story or depict a scene from the Bible. And it's not really like a way to worship that. It's more of a depiction of uh, like putting a, putting a face to the name almost. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just paintings. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, paintings of biblical uh, of figures, holy figures. Um, I mean, but yeah, that's that's pretty much all it is. Uh, exactly. Although it does hold uh, significance. Yeah. And quite... holding authentic um, icons is to be very, very um, spiritual, very, very holy blessed like churches vie for these authentic icons um or, or um spiritual equipment like uh i know the the, the shroud of turin um <laughs> other other pieces like that like if if a, a church is to have an authentic um rublev icon painting in their church that's like the star attraction yeah. Like it's very cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. And um yeah, it's like uh you know, Michelangelo type thing. Or like Oh yeah. Um yeah. 
But anyways, um, so we see that happen. Kirill loses his mind. He goes mad. Actually goes mad. Um, because his his uh his ego is shattered. <laughs> he just like goes rogue. Dude goes rogue. He goes a wall away from the man- monastery. Um, kills a dog in the process. I think. Yeah, um, probably. Yeah, kills the dog. Um, but you know, before we see all that, Andre, he we see him um talk to his mentor, uh, Daniel, who he. He's kind of his, yeah, his mentor, his teacher, who's taught him how to paint and and whatnot. And Daniel is refusing to go with him. Um, I forget why. Do you remember why? I mean, he doesn't like that it's the um. That he didn't consult with them, uh, with him and Kirill. He doesn't like that, but I think he. It's also. I think it's also part of partly him realizing it's not his, to paint. I mean, he wasn't invited, and the well, Alphanese s- didn't come by and ask. Yeah. He just asked Andre, so it's sort of that, I guess, like that honor system of. You got asked, it's your job in that respect, not trying to piggyback off of somebody else's success. Yeah. Yeah. But Andre Andre had the ability to take somebody with him. Like it didn't matter who it was. I mean he could have. I mean he he brought along the the boy, uh what's mm-hmm. his name? Like Fano, you know, something like that. He I mean, he brought along like an apprentice or somebody that he was teaching. Yeah, but not. Yeah, I mean, the the way that I kind of see it all set up is he is the next great iconographer. He, he his talent is respected. He's seen for his goodness because not only is he a good artist, a good painter, he's a good person. Yeah, and and we kind of see that evolution of him uh, as nothing more than you know a Christian, and he, he he does his best. I mean, there's the delay. There's the you're not ready to paint. Um, you know, not focusing on the meaning behind the artwork more focused on the artwork reprimanding um Fano for that for that thought process who cares if the color's perfect if the intent behind the creation is poor right it it, it segues into him you know venturing into the pagans exploring their lifestyle um kind of needing to escape from you know death there a little bit maybe just a little bit but like he i i see it more as an establishment of his talent and an establishment of him being wanted you know carol say you have to beg me to come and work for you 
because it also means that Andre is humble and that he'll, you know, gee, if Theophanes wants to work with me, he could, he'll come and ask me. Like, I'm not going to go force myself in and try and elbow my way up and say, hey, would you would you mind uh, giving me a job or like yeah. taking on one of your things? Yeah. Yeah. And um that first conversation that Andre and Theophanes has is um quite interesting because it if correct me if I'm wrong, this is the this is when we see that sequence of Andre seeing himself as Christ and that reenactment, uh the the historically inaccurate depiction of uh the crucifixion. Oh yeah. Where he sees himself as Christ because the way that he views his art and this is a you know an important part of his character where he we see this kind of progression or evolution away from this kind of thinking where he sees his art as something to be used as a sort of as a tool to um convert as a conversion tool maybe as like an evangelizing people uh because i think he thinks that you know when he creates these works of art he is on the same level as the messiah where he kind of has to die to himself to create these paintings and you know and and in order for that to happen these paintings then are transformational are transcendental um and is worthy to be presented to god um and to glorify him and that kind of plays into his perspective on humans which is you know later shattered um during the middle point of the film the raid yeah and he you know that yeah that sequence is very 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 uh haunting in a way it's kind of and it's odd i mean it makes sense i think character speak character wise it, it makes sense um and um andre andre himself was a christian um he is a christian filmmaker um and most of if not all of his films if i if i uh if i'm concerned deal with christian themes and this is one of his more outright christian films although funnily enough uh the soviet uh film industry kind of banned it for different reasons it's more because of the violence in the film I think, yeah, right. I mean, it makes sense. There's a lot of it, but I'm like, if you find if I'm the Soviet Union, is the violence really what I'm worried about? I mean, I mean, it's the, it's the religious stuff that really is doing it. The state atheism that's really, um, yeah, yeah. Because you know. I know, because I know Tarkovsky, in his in his films after this, he made 
his spiritual overtly Christian themes a lot more subtle, not as overt as in this film. So as to like dodge Soviet censorship. Um, Because I don't think it was necessarily a problem to be Christian, but I think the films had to be a little bit more new, like not as, yeah, not as a, Christian, overtly Christian. Yeah. I mean, but, um, well, yeah, what are you gonna say? I mean, do you mind if I get morally philosophical for a second? Yeah, go ahead. I love the discussion of ethics and punishment that, um, I mean, I'm jumping forward a little bit after this raid, um, in which Andre kills a man who's carrying away uh, a woman that he's come to know around the church. Um, but he, he he's committed murder, which is, you can argue eight different ways around it, but he has killed that man. And he and Theophanes have the discussion of whether or not the bad action, therefore, invalidates his art and makes him impossible to paint these pure good scenes any further uh and then we can we can also get into the, you can also get into the discussion of is killing in this instance wrong you know you've got well do i stand up for my friend and save this woman by killing this man do i let them go not kill him with the chance that he kills her later. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like all of those little nuances there because the, the, the best part, and please punch me if you disagree, like the best part is that there isn't really a right answer. Like you, I, I, I find, you know, lawyers, please don't come at me. I think you'd be very, very, impressed if you were to find somebody who says that all murder is wrong including self-defense killings in war killings in uh by accident but i think you know reactions in self-defense that has a different ring a different feel a different ethical standing with everybody than just walking out into the street and killing the first person you see. And I love the discussion that Andre and Theophanes have. Um, Theophanes imagined from beyond the grave, which is a little bit more like guilt manifested in this bearded dude. (laughs) (laughs) An absolute dude, Theophanes is. Let's just, yeah, let's just sit with that. But the the this the discussion of like Andre believing that he should then punish himself due to the sin that he's committed. Valid, fair. I mean he he is no longer the pure person who has created all of these wonderful, mm-hmm. beautiful icons and art. He's now also a murderer. And and you kind of tack that on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I thought that that scene was one of the most beautiful, powerful, well done in the entire film. Oh, most definitely. I thought it was spectacular. Yeah. I was like, yeah. if it was just that conversation on repeat for three hours, I think this would be the best, best film of all time ever. Oh, wow. Really? I, I it was that good. Like, it's <laughs> so well written. Oh, I know. Yeah. But it's not. It's like it's like 10 minutes. Yeah. But it's still it's still. Yeah. It's, I mean, the yeah, the writing in this film is just barring on some of the best ever. Really um, but yeah, I mean. Yeah, because his his uh, his then punishment on it, his own self punishment is to never speak for what, 15 years Ever. I mean, he, he doesn't speak until the very end. It's yeah. Like, that's like and he, 10 years at least. And he gives up making paintings. He's just like, I'm never making a painting ever again. Yep. And he just kind of lives his life as a hermit uh, for 15 years. And this is when the film goes into, we see these other people that are directly and indirectly you know influencing the decision to kind of step away from that at some point later in his life and to return to to painting spoiler alert but first we see the prince the grand prince and the his brother who mm-hmm. is working alongside with the tartars or the tartars whatever the mongolians Tartar. are they mongolians Turkish, actually. Oh, the Turkish? Are they Turkish? No, that's the... Yeah, they are Turkish. They're Turkish? They are Turks. Ethnically ambiguous, I believe, was the... um, uh, Turkic-speaking peoples that lived in in Western Russia. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, yeah, yeah. Turk... Okay, Turkish. Because, again, they're all feudal, so it's all just, like, a bunch of tribes of people who all kind of are from the same area, all kind of speak the same language, all kind of work together. Mm-hmm. But we we could call them Turks if we want to. Tartars, whatever. Either way, these Either people. The haters. Non, non, Non-Russians. Non-Russians, that works. Non-Russians, I guess. Uh, they, they are like, you know, going all over Russia, pillaging raping all these things you know as as they do and the brother of the grand prince who is the king essentially of russia he wants to take the throne for himself because he holds a grudge against his brother um because he doesn't have the power he's kind of been pushed aside by his brother um and has felt wronged by his brother so he's going on this um this tour, this this Russia Russia wide tour, to take the throne, and incidentally, this his arrival at this uh this town that Andre is in to paint the church, which by the way he hasn't even started. Yep, <laughs> the dude hasn't even started. It's been like six years. I don't know how long. Five, four years. He hasn't done a single thing to those walls. Um, yeah, and 
because he he hasn't really felt any motivation. He doesn't. I think he it's a combination of like he thinks it's too too important for him to do. He doesn't feel like he's prepared to do it. Yeah, he doesn't want to do it because it's such a huge undertaking, and he doesn't want to mess it up. And he's just like, ah, I'm good. I'm good. I'll just kind of ignore it and hope that <laughs> something happens kind of mindset uh, <laughs> that okay. he approaches the, the painting. And specifically the Last Judgment, which again, it depicts the second coming of Christ. And he himself, in a in a dream-like sequence that we see portrays himself as Christ um, as he as Christ gets crucified so you know there's that interesting element to to him his hesitation towards painting the church which is a cathedral in Moscow probably I think one of the more important ones uh, the most important one I have no idea um but either way, he is hesitant. He doesn't want to do it. Um, and he's scared. But, you know, the 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 brother of the Grand Prince and the Tartars show up. And then Andre does the unspeakable and kills someone. Although his reasons for it are justified, I think, in doing so. Because if he didn't, then that woman would have probably have gotten killed at some point. Yes, um, but probably more unspeakable things. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he kills her, and then he kind of loses it. Um, and he goes mute for many years, fifteen years to be exact. And the other person that is kind of more directly involved in kind of changing his his path and the path of his life later in his life is this young boy young lad this young lad whose entire family was killed by the plague i don't know which one probably not the bubonic bubonic Probably not the bubonic, because at that point, it was already gone. I mean, it was probably still killing people. Though. Oh, no, no. I mean, it still exists. I mean, it still exists to this day. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, like, been eradicated or whatever. But, you know, it's not. It's nowhere nearly as deadly as it, you know, used to be back then. I mean, it literally wiped a third of Europe during its peak. Pish posh. <laughs> um, but, yeah, this, this boy, this dude, no family. And a couple of these Russian soldiers show up to his house and they're asking him where his dad is because his dad's like a famous bell maker in Russia. And, um, but it's interesting though, because like his land, like where they live, is pretty run down. Like they're like peasants pretty much, which is interesting considering the reputation his father has. As a bell maker, yeah, you know, you would think that they would be in a somewhat more 
comfortable living situation, but I guess not. Um, My suspicion is that he just died a while ago. Yeah, probably, maybe. But either way, um, the boy's like, yo, I, I know the secret of bell making. My dad told me the secret to make the best bells in the world. <laughs> um, and when I'm talking bells, I'm talking like church bells. I'm talking about those big bells, not them chimes. Uh, no, we're not talking about those. We're talking about not Liberty Bell, not that small thing. No, no, no. We're talking about big bells, big bells. What was that? I'm just laughing. I like you're you're trashing the Liberty Bell. Liberty Bell. <laughs> I've seen it. Have you seen it? I've not seen it. I've been to Philly, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's pretty small. It has a crack in it too. Come on, bro. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, Borishka could do better. Yeah. Anyways, he's like, please let me let me take me with you. Let me make the bell for you. And they reluctantly agree. Um. And. You know he goes, and uh, we see his we see his journey making the bill. But before I want to before I get into that though, I know I'm kind of segueing here, in a very good poor way. But we'll get back to that timeline. We'll back to the we'll get back to that storyline because that's the last storyline we see in the film. But before that, you know we see Kirill again. In his in the monastery again, and. He's talking to a monk who doesn't recognize him. And Kirill, at this point in his life, he's gone through a lot. We haven't really caught up with him up until this point, until now. And and then uh, the monk finally recognizes him after Kirill says something. I forget what, but Kirill says something that kind of uh, sets him off and he's being oddly humble and oddly uh, repentant for the things that he's done and he feels horrible for the things that he's done. So bad, so bad in fact that he's willing to do whatever to get forgiveness from anyone. Um. And, you know, we eventually see him conf- get confronted by the head monk or whatever, the headmaster. And he tells him, like, look, I don't really want you here, but you can write the scriptures 15 times and you'll be repented or you'll be forgiven or something like that. And I just laughed to myself because I'm like, you got to write the Bible 15 times, bro. Oh, my Lord. That's a wrap. That's GG's. You know how long the Bible is, right? Yeah, it's thousands of pages. Yeah, and especially writing it when you're old and arthritic. Oh, my gosh. Forget Ouch. about it. Forget about it. No, yeah. I mean, he, he really, you know, he was asking for it. They brought the hammer down. And he's like, yep. That's fair. I deserve that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, you know, he was an artist as well, but yeah. you know, given that moment where he was rejected from the big, the big project that would 
the the capstone of his career, the greatest achievement in his career, was taken away from him. Although he kind of took it away himself, given what he told Theophanes earlier in the film, he kind of yeah. self sabotaged himself there. But um, yeah, we see this this arrogant guy, this arrogant artist who thinks he's like the greatest uh, of all time. He could do no wrong. And he gets rejected once. He loses it. Um, we don't ever see him for a while. And then we see him again. And he's like repentant for what he's done. Yeah. Really big on that uh, people can change arc. Yes. That it's not, I, I don't know if it's really a, a change as it is an evolution of thought. Understanding what he did was wrong and coming back to ask for forgiveness. Like it's not he's not apolog I mean I wouldn't say that he's apologizing so much as he's like acknowledging his wrong um yeah I mean he, I I don't think he's ever I mean I think he does express regret but I don't think it's ever like I'm so sorry it's I done goofed Please, for I will do anything to make it up to you. I, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Which, like that level of dedication, that level of like 180, is is I think incredibly important, especially in a, in a, in a story from a Christian director, and coming that way uh, with we you know those heavy tones of Christianity, religious and faith and goodness, the goodness of people. Because, I mean, even the, even the the the, the Turks uh, coming in and killing everybody, they're not really given a platform. They're sort of just a evil that exists. It's not like they have a moral cause. They're not really justified in their... Um, we don't find out the depths of their character and why they go from place to place killing people. They just kind of do. And that's just kind of how it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the time but we get the the in-depth look at andre and kirill and we get that that insight as to okay this is what what has happened to make me think this way this is something new that now forces me to change the way that i view the world and change the way that i view myself and change the way that i exist in this lovely lovely space that we call earth slash feudal russia stand by it i i love this sort of change of heart especially with you know again conversions conversion of saul um you know jesus did a lot of convert converting when he was in a when he was in action so like to have that sort of aspect in there it's not really saying that one person has come back and and changed his mind it's more the more you continue to live, the more you continue to grow and accept new information as it comes by, the better person you become. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love it. 10 out of 10. It's, yeah, it's great. So back to the the Bellmaker boy. Yeah. Back to him. <laughs> He's full of ambition. This young lad, full of ambition. He's like, dude, I could do this. I, I got this. No problem make this bill and it's going to require a team of people lots of people because we're talking a big bill 
and he's quite headstrong in the way that he wants this done. He's very stern, and I think he 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 sees himself inflated. He's he kind of has an ego. He, there's an arrogance to him as well. Um, I mean, he literally sends someone to be whipped because they have a differing opinion on how to cast the bell or when to cast it like come on dude what's wrong with you you know and um you know we see him search for the correct clay um and he eventually finds it but he goes he seemingly travels quite a while to find this right clay uh for the the burning kilning process. I don't know, but um, yep. yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And he doesn't, he himself, I guess doesn't really do much aside from like delegating and telling people what to do. Um, yeah. yeah. It's important. I mean, yeah, he, he claims to have known his father's secret, secret. to building. Yeah. And he was very adamant on one thing in particular, which was because there was bad weather on the way or something like that. And the bell wasn't necessarily prepared to be casted. However, he was adamant on like, no, we have to cast it now. We don't have time. We got to do it now. And everyone was disagreeing with him. He was the only one that was like, nope, we got to do it now. Everyone was saying we got to keep reinforcing the the clay wall or whatever. The yeah. the the cast itself, I suppose. Um but he was like, "Nah, nah, bro. We got this." So we see them, you know, pour the the metal into the cast, whatever metal they use. I don't know what it is. I think it's like copper or something or whatever. And it seemingly looks good. They take the the clay off once it's done cooling. It looks good. No cracks to be seen. And you know, now the next test is will it ring? Will it uh, toll? And will it uh, not break when it gets uh, hit by the the metal thing that rings it? And and there's an Im immense amount of pressure on this kid because if this bell doesn't work and it breaks, he's going to die. It's literally a matter of life and death for him. Because the print, the grand prince is going to be there to watch it being rung. Because this bell is for that same church that Andre was supposed to paint, but he hasn't even like painted yet. I think, right? Yes. It, yeah, it's the same church, right? Okay. I mean, I believe it's the um, the uh, blah, 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 blah. the what's it called? Like outside of the town, or the the um. What's the uh, fief that's ruled by the um? No, it is the church. No, you're right. Yeah, same church, right? Yeah, it's just outside of the um, 
the city because that's where the cast is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah then they, they test it and then they can bring it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, if this spell fails, the dude's dead. Um. <laughs> so there, there's this large, elaborate sequence of all these people like lifting up the bell to get it ready to test. Um, very beautiful, like long, wide kind of dolly shots on, or not dolly shots. Um, yeah, I think dolly. There is, yeah, it's probably not a dolly. Um, what we see, we see every all these people lifting it up, um, and all these people gathering around to watch it be wrong, and. the tension builds and builds and then it, it they and it rings it rings well rings true and it's working it works and um the reaction from the guy is not what you expect because he starts crying he starts crying and andre happens to be there and he's just kind of walking around watching everything go down and they run into each other and Andre speaks for the first time in 15 years. And he's like, why are you crying? What you've made is magnificent. You know, why are you crying? And the boy says, I forget what he says. He never knew the secret. Ah, that's right. That's right. Before he passed. Yes. It is just blowing smoke the whole time. Yeah. So I guess he didn't really know how to make a bell. Did he? <laughs> I, mean, he, he I mean, he clearly knew something. He knew yeah, no, something. that's true. That's true. I don't yeah. think I don't think if if given the opportunity, I would just be like, yes, I can absolutely make a bell. <laughs> no. But like no. the. There's a secret that apparently has not been told, which I love the 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 degree of like mysticism that that holds, as well as the fact that maybe there's a secret to painting. Yeah, but there's, but Andre doesn't know it. Yeah, and that 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 moment that they have at the end, he offers to go out together with Borushka. Got it. Um. He, the, you will cast bells, I will paint icons. He's going to go back to it because he's like this personal punishment of, of doing such a thing in the course of human action is not as important as what I could be doing instead. It, choosing to paint and bring joy or choosing to make bells and bring joy to all the people around more important than punishing yourself for one yep. misdeed. Yep. Yep. And that is such it's such a powerful like moment in I the film. Yeah. And that that yeah, that little exchange between the two of them and Andre like finally realizes like the purpose to his life, why he was put on earth. And you know, why he has the talent he has. You can't just neglect the talent that you have and not do anything with it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yes, you may have done a wrong thing, although in that context, 
you could make an argument that it wasn't as bad. I don't know, but that's a conversation for another time. But like he does, he kills somebody. And he's like, I'm never going to do anything ever again. I'm just going to live in sorrow. I'm going to live in punishment every day of my life from here on out. Yeah. And, you know, it's that joy of art that kind of brings him back to life. That, that moment of catharsis when, you know, you 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 stand back and you appreciate what someone has made or what you have made and you're like wow this is good um and uh you know he he finally realizes that like life life is more than just what you do to yourself i guess or like you know what um kind of uh it's not as uh transactional i suppose or you don't have to live this life of punishment to yourself because of misdeeds that you may have done um but yeah cuz it's like you move on you recognize what you did was bad and then you you learn from that mistake yeah. not to uh, punish yourself eternally for that mistake Right. And yeah. And are you going to say, you going to say something? Not on this topic. I was going to do a quick pivot, but keep going. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that little exchange between the two of them was, was very potent, quite powerful, moving. Um, but yes, you were, you were going to say something. Nope. Cinematography note. Um, um Throughout the film, Tarkovsky does the same kind of method in that he follows one person, not switching to see both sides of a conversation of who's talking, but he follows one person, or at least the what is the focal point of that vignette or the uh, the the extended scene. A lot of long shots, a lot of long exposures to see kind of how the action plays out uh, naturally. You know, there's not that little tiny takes and switches between people's faces when they're talking to each other. Um, I noticed it for sure in the, uh, the final piece, the bell where the camera almost exclusively follows Borishka, the young boy, because when he's first recruited, it's only on him. We don't even see the people on the horse until they start to leave and leave him behind. Yep. Um, it follows him around through the pit. It follows him around through the uh, the cast and, and and into the into the pit. There, it sticks on him like glue because he's the focal point. That's who you should be watching. Don't get it twisted. None of these other side characters are important. This is what's important. And I I love that little that piece of direction just because. It limits expectation. You have to focus on this one person because yeah. this is the point. Mm -hmm. I like it when directors have that little extra um, helping hand to say, it's not up for interpretation. Please watch it. <laughs> yeah. Please watch this person. Yeah. Yeah. And so after their, their conversation, the film then pivots and 
jarringly changes to color. Oh yeah. And when I saw that, I was like, what? Huh? What is this? And then we and then we see Andre's work. We see his work. And I think specifically the um I have the, pain- the names. The paintings the the paintings he did in the church, right? In the Moscow church. Yep. Following icons are shown. Um time-aged but vibrant details of several of his actual icons in the order enthroned christ 12 apostles the annunciation uh jesus entering jerusalem the birth of christ transfiguration of jesus the resurrection of lazarus lazarus um the trinity the archangel michael paul the apostle and the redeemer uh, those are all real icons painted by Rublev that are all shown in some detail. Like th- they do repeat and go back to some um, to show maybe a different detail or a different piece of the scene. Yeah. But all painted by him. True works still wow. alive, still around, still current. And that sequence is, I mean, <clears throat> it's such a buildup. You know, we see his life, his adult life, pretty much all of it in the film, in the three hours of the film. And then at the very end, the very end, Tarkovsky masterfully just is like, here you go. Here's here's his most important work. Here is his uh, masterpiece, so to speak. Um, And it has such a profound effect in terms of like, you know, home you know, uh, hitting home hard the themes of the film and kind of like a self-reflection of the relationship with the, the, the relationship that, that an artist has with his art, his or her art, and what that art does to people when they view it. Yeah. Um, because I mean, one of the very consistent themes among, uh, during the runtime of the film is like Andre is an artist and his constant battle with like, you know, whether or not he himself is worthy enough of painting the that cathedral in Moscow or and his uh, his lifelong. Uh, lifelong re- re- revelation that eventually comes that later in his life that he's like, okay, I have to do this. I have, I was told to do this by somebody. Um, but it's more than just that. It's more than just like being asked to do a job. It's there is huge ramifications for the art that he made you know for the the lives that were impacted by seeing that and you know what it means to as we discussed earlier what in the significance of painting um iconography uh his holy holy figures of of the bible and what that means as an artist and what that means for his faith um and yeah i mean 
I just, you know, I see that and it's like, wow. Um, Tarkovsky. Wow. I mean, I, it's mind blowing, honestly, uh, how, how confident he is already to make something like this and it to land so well. Um, eventually. Yeah. I mean, um, it won a prize at Khan, but like, uh, you know, to have his actual vision sent out after, you know, censorship and whatnot. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I mean, wow, what a film. And man, it's it's interesting. It sucks, at least for me, because I really... You know, while I was watching it, I was like, oh, my gosh, can you just please stay awake? Just please stay awake. (laughs) And, you know, that's not to knock it. I mean, that's just kind of the nature of it. It's very slow, very deliberate. And yeah, and that's fine. I mean, I've seen I, I mean, one of my some of my favorite films are literally like that, you know, and Edward Yang movies are exactly like that oh god yeah um but i think um although i think i think uh with tarkovsky it's a little bit more philosophical a lot more heavy in in its uh in its content but man i just i want to love it so much and i want it to like you know, I want to. I want to watch it again. I want to watch this again. Be fully attentive and like really just lose myself in the world that he builds and creates in this film. Because I mean, he is literally like considered widely considered and widely regarded as one of the greatest filmmakers who has ever lived. Um, yeah. And I want to, I mean, I appreciate the art so much, but I really want to, you know, watch it and be like, oh my God, wow, I love this. This is amazing, which it is amazing. I don't know, but there, I, I, there, I, I don't know. There's something missing. I want to feel that prof- profound feeling that I've gotten for a lot of other films that I've seen. Yeah. I got one more. I got one more little thing that I, I was just looking into just to just to take a little peeksy at um Rublev and his his work. Uh his most famous piece is called The Trinity. Uh recently and by recently I mean this year, uh was moved to the uh, Russian uh the Cathedral of Christ the Savior in Moscow, which is the center of the Russian Orthodox Church. Mm-hmm. Um the uh the interesting thing is historians date it and they have made suggestions as to when this uh, icon was created because it's it's regarded as one of the greatest accomplishments in russian art in religious art um it's suggested um officially Either it was created in either 1411 or 1425 to 1427, which oh, wow. I love. 
And here's why I love it. Because either one of those dates works within the timeline of uh, Tarkovsky's film. Because Tarkovsky fills in a lot of details and makes it not so much like the perfect um, biography of Rublev, but instead allows some of the details that we know to take place and then dramatizes and adds some bits to make his theme clearly articulate. If it's 1411, this is prior to being asked by Theophanes to paint the um, cathedral in Moscow. And he's already regarded as a great artist and he's already seen as, as one of the best and he's got that talent within him, which absolutely fits because he, he, he's he got that skill and people see that skill and recognize it. Or if it's the end date, you put that at the end. This is after the bell vignette, after he determines that he will paint again uh, because he knows the joy that it will bring people. And it still works. Yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, just little baby, you know, chef's kiss. <laughs> I love that. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's amazing. Um there's a there's a guy on follow, I got a guy I follow on uh, Letterboxd by the name of Edgar Cochran. He uh he has a, a large list where he he has the list called my favorite movies, his top 150 films that he's seen in his life, like the best 150 films that he's seen in his life. And Andre Rublyov is at his number two. Um, number one being Santantago by Bayatar, a Hungarian filmmaker. That film is seven hours long that I've been wanting to watch for many years now, but I just have it because it's so long. Um, but yes, uh, I, I I greatly respect this guy's opinion, and he's a great follow on Litterbox. So, and he's a he's a Christian as well. So, um, I like that too, because I am a Christian. But he he um, he's quite. How do I put it? He's quite um. What's the word? outspoken no he's very like in terms of his ratings like he gives a lot of five stars he has like 930 something five stars oh wow on his account that's a lot yeah he's very liberal with his usage of the the five star or he has a thousand films now uh with the five star rating um but yes anyways i mean yeah andre rubliov what an amazing film. Again, I I really, really need to see this again and actually be attentive to it. And actually watch, you know, Tarkovsky's other work. Cause I own this was funnily enough, this was one of the very first Criterion Blu-rays that I bought. Ooh. Um, and that was like two years ago, three years ago now. And now I finally watched it. I finally watched it. I also own Stalker and Mirror. Uh, I've seen Stalker. That film is also very uh, heavy and philosophical and a lot more confusing than this one. 
uh, Andre Rublyov is is pretty straightforward in terms of the narrative. Stalker, not so much, but yeah, Mirror as well. I mean, this yeah, as I, I already talked to Length about his his work earlier in the in the episode, so I'm not gonna exhaust that. But yeah, I need to watch more Tarkovsky. Motto. <laughs> We segue now to our 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 fun segment at the end. Let's get right. you a little bit more about us. A little bit more fun. Tristan, what was our topic again? Oh, hot takes that we have for a director. Whether that be a specific film of theirs or their career, their filmography, or whatever it may be. Okay. So. Uh, take it away. All right, I'll go first. Okay. Now, there's two that I have, and they are pretty hot, uh, although I think one is a hotter take than the other. Let's work our way up in spice tolerance. Okay, okay. Um, first one being, and I think this is hot a hot take for the fanboys, like the hardcore fanboys of this director. Um, I'll talk about Christopher Nolan. Oh, that's not who I was thinking you were going to talk about. <laughs> uh, I'm talking about Christopher Nolan. <laughs> Look, I was, I used to be one of those fanboys. I used to be one of those obnoxious people that were like, oh my God, Christopher Nolan, he's the greatest, he's one of the greatest filmmakers ever. Um, no, he's not. Um, <laughs> he's not. Although, look, I will say, I will say this. He is a good gateway into film. His films are a good like kind of entry level to falling in love with the art form. He is really good for that. That I will say. I will give him credit for that. And I I give him credit for doing that for me. However, however, his best work, I think, in my opinion, is his... 2001 film Memento. Not The Dark Knight, not Inception, not, um, I don't know, uh, Interstellar or whatever. Um, you know, Memento is extremely creative, very unique, and, you know, on its surface, it may sound crazy confusing, but he makes it work. And it's great. The Dark Knight trilogy, as great as it is, Dark Knight Rises is a dud. That film is mid. Uh, it's fun to watch, but it's it's not that good. The Dark Knight. Okay, I know it's great. Yes, we all can agree it's a great film. Heath Ledger, one of the greatest performances of mo- in modern cinema history. We all know this. This is facts. Um, however. That's the only reason people remember that film. Fair. That's the only reason people remember that film is because of Heath Ledger's performance. And it's not remembered because of Christopher Nolan's directing or his writing, which there are debates about, you know, it's it's quality. But the main reason people love that film so much is because of Heath Ledger's Joker. And again, not to knock it, it's, again, one of the greatest performances of all time. 
don't get me wrong don't get it twisted but like i think that that kind of extends his uh his clout artistically speaking because you know after that point you know with films like interstellar um dunkirk is an exception that that film's an exception Tenet, uh, Tenet is like probably the worst offense of of this kind of of this type of filmmaking he does, where he gets super high concept. He gets really deep into the exposition, and it's like convoluted. There isn't much emotional development for the characters. The way he writes women characters is really one dimensional, one noted, not very very good i mean he still literally has that problem in oppenheimer um and you know i i just don't i don't think he's i don't think he's all that in a bag of chips i mean i i i mean look his films are fun to watch like like inception inception is a lot of fun to watch that's so it's so fun to watch and i think that film is kind of makes that balance of like okay it's not too confusing i can kind of understand what's going on it's fun to watch and it makes sense there is emotional depth to it uh and and all that but after that point it just kind of like falls off the rails prestige is really good i think that's a great film but i don't know man i don't know his body of work it's a little scattered it's a little scattered um, yeah that's not to say he's a bad filmmaker he's he's pretty solid he's solid but he's he has more duds than he has great films you sound like you're trying to convince me of something oh uh, well you don't have to well I- no 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 no. well you know <laughs> there's there might be listeners that are christopher nolan fanboys which is fine that's okay that's it's okay that's okay, <laughs> okay. that's okay we we were all there at one point i was there i used to be that person Please, please don't stop listening to the podcast. Please, uh, don't be I'm offended. Actually, I'm actually doing pretty well on Christopher <laughs> Nolan. Actually, not not consider myself a fanboy, but I'm doing well on my Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Um, now, as for my other take, um, that is probably more controversial. Um, and it's on Quentin Tarantino. That's what I thought you were going to talk about yeah. first, actually. Yeah, Quentin Tarantino. He 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 has the same problem as Wes Anderson. Um, although you have my attention. Yeah, he has the same problem as Wes Anderson, and that is he makes the same films over and over again, just with different settings, and. Again, I will stress this. Quentin Tarantino is not a bad filmmaker. He's great. He's great. He's great. I will say that. He is great. His films are entertaining. Um, But like outside of the entertainment, I don't think he really has much to say. In terms of the in terms of what he says with his films. He kind of makes his movies to, you know, 
as an exercise of his own imagination. Like, hey, look at what I can do with this, you know? And look, Django Unchained, I think that's I think that's one of his best films, if not his best film. Um, I really love Django. Uh Pulp Fiction, classic, obviously, and Glorious Bastards. That's amazing. Um and you know, Kill Bill is great. Um, I haven't seen Jackie Brown. Reservoir Dogs is pretty good. But again, I mean the films are just kind of the same thing. It's just different different environments, different contexts. You know, nothing's really too different. You know what I mean? Um, I guess he kind of experimented with Hateful Eight, where it was in the same room for three hours. But, I mean, it, it, it came down to the same conclusion, um, ultimately. And it's, you know, always a shootout. People die. It's very violent. And that's about it. Um, mm. Good guys win, bad guys lose. That's just how it goes. Um, but, like, when I see his body of work uh, in totality, I cannot put him up there as, as one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. I just can't. You can't. You can't. He's good, but he's not, like, amazing, you know? So people, you need to stop. You need to stop giving him extreme premium gas. He doesn't deserve that extreme premium gas. Okay, he's fun to watch, but that's about it. That's all I gotta say. All right. Yeah. Wow. I mean, okay. I mean, I would like to just you know, I would take the moment to point out you know the uh. This is my moment to get on my soapbox a little bit um, and, and you know, proclaim to the high heavens just some other stuff that's happening before I dive in, mostly to stall and give myself time uh, because <laughs> I, 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 I'm not as well versed, I think, in this, but I think I still have, you know, zesty uh, opinions. But, uh, I mean, first of all, I, I do want to mention... Um, I don't know how much you're keeping track of this, Tristan, but uh, the strike with the WGA and SAG mm -hmm. yeah. together. Yeah. Uh, story just came out today about Warner Brothers Discovery saying that ongoing strikes will mean a $300 million to $500 million hit in their potential earnings for this year. Oh, um, oh no. <laughs> they... I, I just I think that's funny that they are they are parading around this loss that they are that they are taking uh, when they are refusing to come to the table and discuss with SAG and the WGA, as well as the fact that had they given those two organizations their dream checklist, like say they just rolled over and gave them the dream checklist of everything they wanted, it would have cost them forty seven million dollars. Little bit less than 300 to 500 million. Yep. Mm -hmm. And with with the you know continued work of uh, smaller production companies like Neon and A24 meeting that dream criteria and allowing projects to keep rolling, it just makes it even more clear that larger companies with bigger payrolls are just being greedy, are just being selfish, oh, are yeah. just hoarding 
what they have and it makes me sick and i'm really upset yeah with it's horrible the ceos of these companies and how they are not clued in to what's happening because i think they they think playing the pity card will actually win them credit which it won't yeah. and also a moment to talk about you know i've seen people talk about this oh no oppenheimer won't get nominated for oscars because the cast is all white and the academy just recently introduced uh, the diversity rules and be- because of this uh the academy won't won't be able to recognize killian murphy for his brilliant performance first of all shut up who cares second of all that's not what the the, the new policy says because the new policy is you need to have uh, a, a diverse background in I, I believe it's two out of four categories uh-huh. and a lot of the major production companies check those boxes on their own so yeah. you can kind of do whatever you want with your own film. Either on-screen talent has to be, um, and th- this is kind of for all of them, a uh, majority of either POC, uh, women, uh, LGBTQ, some uh, oppressed minority, whether that's you know Asian, Native American, Black, Indian, Hispanic um, women, again, but yeah. you know, you need half about i think it's about half of each of these departments either mm-hmm. it's on-screen cast on-set crew uh marketing and release and then the fourth the fourth piece is i believe in the studio executive makeup itself oh really okay it's, it's meant to you know encourage diversity hires getting getting new people or people from backgrounds who aren't normally uh, considered for these types of positions to you know rise up and 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 take these new positions which i stand for 100 yeah. percent. also it does not mean that Appenheimer will not be getting any nominations because the cast is all white because it, it's going to they check i think three of those boxes <laughs> not yeah. the cast one yeah yeah so like calm down chill out the woke yeah. police are not coming to get you. It's just a bunch of rage baiters that are saying that. Grow some balls <laughs> and get over it. Yeah. Get and over it. besides, like, as much as I as much as we talk about the Oscars, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it's not some like prestigious, like, oh. It won an Oscar. That means it's the best film of that year. No, that has been proven time and time again. That is not the case. Okay. Yeah, and it's it's all up to your opinion anyway. Yeah, exactly. So, but uh-huh. we'll get into my we'll get into my zesty take. Okay. Uh, because I I I want to be I want to be early on this mostly because I don't have much because you know most of the great directors I haven't seen much of their work. Kubrick uh-huh. haven't seen much of it. Tarkovsky, Jack. Bergman, Hitchcock, eh. um, you know, like the I think the the filmmaker that I've seen the most from is like Aaron Sorkin, and this is him as a writer, not as a director. Yeah, which you know, by the way, fire writer, but that's not really the point. Um, yeah. I'm gonna go go out and make this prediction now. It's okay. more of a prediction, less of a hot okay. take. Okay, but by the by the time that the arc. <laughs> Of this career is done and direction is complete. I believe that Greta Gerwig will be considered a top five director of all time. 
Whoa. Yo, that is top five all time? Yes. Top five. Yes. No way. No, I disagree. I have to. As much as I love her as much as I love her work. I think it may depend on the it may depend on the work that comes, whether she gets continues to get pushed uh the big blockbusters or is continued to allow be allowed to make her own uh films and the films that she would like to. For example, I mean I I just wanna there are three so far that have come out. Yeah. The Adap- the adaptation of Little Women, yep. Lady Bird, mm-hmm. and Barbie. Yep. Each of whom have, you know, outstanding critical sl- uh, acclaim. A lot of people like those movies. I loved Lady Bird. That made my top 15 last year. Yeah. Barbie is probably going to make my top 15 this year. I enjoy these movies. A lot of people enjoy these movies. Mm-hmm. And I do think that it has to do with both her writing along with uh, oh, yeah. Noel Baumbach, which cannot be, you know, you know, pushed Ign- down, but like, yeah, yeah, ignored. It also has to do with her direction. Yes. And I think, I do think that if she continues at the pace that she is on, we will be talking with about her in the same breath as Kubrick and Spielberg. Dang, that's crazy. Okay. Okay. That's crazy. It's early, but I'd, I'd that's very early. early. I mean, yeah, she she still has a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. So. Dang, top five all time. Wow. You wanted hot. <laughs> Dude, that's hot. That's harder than what I said. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, Come that's crazy. Swinging. Yeah, that's a crazy take. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> But Beautiful. I like it though. Hey, hey, it fits. It fits. It works. That's a hot take. That's a steaming hot take. It's volcanic. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. No, but I mean, I'm. Yeah, I mean, I love Greta Gerwig. Listeners know that she yeah. is oh, magnificent. Yeah. But oh, okay. All right. Let's Anyways. hope. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Let's see if that uh comes true in like fifty years. Yeah. I'll be 45. I'll text you, Tristan. Am I right yet? Like a you still do ass. the podcast at that age? No, maybe. <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> Longest running podcast. World well, we record. Yeah. Oh, man. But, um, yeah. All right. Well, that's been uh, the Cinematic Odyssey here on your favorite streaming platform and united to the moves um as for next week again you'll be in for a surprise one of these weeks we'll actually think of something and then you'll you'll know i don't know when that will come but it'll come at some point i mean we used to do it uh but you know we'll get we're getting there um yeah that's been Andre Tarkovsky's Andre Rubliov here on the Cinematic Odyssey. We'll catch you guys next week. Thank you for listening. Um, yeah, that's that's been Andre Rubliov forever. <laughs>